what's the most punishing outdoor experience you've ever had? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, and that can include uh, like terrain or weather or just amount of physical exertion, like whatever fuck. that strikes right, okay. up for you. So there's been a few. Uh, I, I've, I've probably mentioned this on the cast before, but I used to camp quite a bit as a kid. Me and my, me and my buddies would grab tents and go to the fucking quarry and camp. And that was often quite difficult. Sure. Uh, uh, a couple of years back, I did a obstacle course, a 5K called Tough Mudder, which was really fucking difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is that only 5K? It, there, there's a 10K version, but I did the 5K oh, version. Gotcha. But I'm so glad I didn't do the 10K version because... <laughs> But do you know what? I, I I came out of that secretly very, very proud that I accomplished it because I did shit that I didn't think I could fucking do. But yeah. it was gru- it was grueling, man. It was like a 20-foot fucking plunge into freezing cold water, climbing up shit, jumping over shit, under shit. Um, yeah. One particular obstacle had it. Electric shocks, you fucking sadistic yeah. fucks. That's, that's where it loses me because I have done a mud run before and yeah. it was very yeah, yeah, yeah. hard. But yeah. it was not the kind. There's no barbed wire, no electric shocks. I, yes. <laughs> I draw the I mean, line at some things. Yeah. Um, all things of that nature, you okay. know what I mean? The elements. But at the end of the day, because I am a Western male, I was able <laughs> to go back into my cozy home and enjoy mm. a nice mug of yeah, malt fucking beverage. And you're you're training for like a half marathon or something, aren't you? I am, yes. I uh, am going to have another run at the Cardiff Half next year. Uh, raise some money for fucking, you know, the, the, the mental health charities and give it another crack. Because it only... It, oh, man. Running is such a fucking weird one. <laughs> it is, as far as it I'm concerned. Yeah, such a strange one. Right, of all of the things to stick in my head about running, right, I remember... I can't... As a kid, there was a Nike advert, right? Sorry, Nike. Thank you. Uh, there was a Nike advert that <laughs> said, even though running hurts, you know that all you've got to do to stop the pain is just stop running. But you that don't was it. carry That was on. an advertisement? Yeah. Oh, okay. As, as a runner, we know, you know, we know that to make the pain stop, we just have to stop running, but we don't. We carry on. And that's a strange <laughs> state of mind. Um, it is. Isn't it? Why'd you ask? <laughs> I'm very I'm... curious as to why. <laughs> I, w- I will explain to you why I asked hmm. that question and actually your answers work very well with what I'm about to tell you about delighted, so delighted. you know I have no interest in in running long distances nor mm. crawling through barbed wire and getting electrocuted and all that kind of stuff but a lot of people like yourself really go for that kind of thing uh-huh. and some people take it to extremes it's hard for even many of the most hardcore amongst us to fathom one example of this is the mar- sorry i just going to read i started reading it the english way and then was like this is french <laughs> the, uh, the marathon des sables or the marathon of the sands um, an ultra marathon through the Sahara Desert that is punishing on multiple levels. Just super, super quickly, because it's the marathon of sand sounds fucking horrible. But yeah. I, I am not. I am. I am. A, I am amidst the least hardcore. Right? There's a girl I work with. <laughs> there's a girl I work with who runs ultra marathons and started doing so after a fucking kidney transplant. Jesus what the Christ. F- fucking yeah. hell? You yeah. It's, I mean, it couldn't be me, but I will say you're not amongst the least hardcore. I mean, mm. a good chunk of people are more of the couch and the couch to 5K. 
So, (laughs) you know, doing any of this stuff, whatever it is, you know, is is a lot more than most people do. Uh, So, of course, there's (laughs) levels of the extremeness of this. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) Marathon of the Sands, like you said, sounds terrible. While participants have the option to walk or run the grueling trail, any way you slice it, there will be suffering. This is, I I think I said, this is also an ultra marathon like your friend runs. Um, This race lasts a week, consists of six stages, and covers 156 miles. Oh, that's disgusting. It's horrendous. And as the official UK website... How many? 156 miles. Fucking idiot. Right? That's a long way to drive. Yeah. <laughs> the UK uh, I don't think website... I've, I don't think I've covered that distance on foot in my life. You mean in total? Yeah, in the last 44 years. I have not... <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you've gone at least 156 miles by foot. I don't think so. But please go on. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> UK website. Why is it... And it's French. Because uh, uh, it's in Morocco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a valid question. I did not address that. So this website explains that it takes you across endless sand dunes, rocky jebels, and white hot salt plains. <laughs> rocky what? Jebels. I had to look this up. It just okay. means like mountains. <laughs> Why say mountains when you can say rocky jebels? <laughs> a little, uh, a little, it feels put a like a French good... on it. Mm-hmm. Looks like a good like euphemism for like your balls. Kicked him right exactly. in the rocky jebels. You know? Exactly. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> um, but yes, and white hot salt plains carrying what you need to survive on your back. It's considered the toughest foot race on earth, and the website promises that your feet will swell, crack, and bleed. Oh, so good. Deeply not my idea of a good time and it. i am like you know i am a person you who enjoys a physical challenge let's do the uh, rocky jebels 2024 <laughs> the rocky jebels 2024 it's happening it's on <laughs> <laughs> rock of all jebels <laughs> <laughs> no i i love a i love a challenge um but i'm but no. also about that you know <laughs> listening to my body life yes, and of all of those things that website just described is your body's not so subtle way of saying stop fucking doing that <laughs> Um, it's like that, you know, that old joke, like, doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do this, you know, yeah. so don't do this. Uh, oh, wait, anyway. I didn't know if you wanted me to do the bit. <laughs> I learned that joke, in fact, from uh, Dr. Beverly Crusher. Ah, I love that. Listen, she's, she's it's not all she taught me, let me tell you. That's not she's, the only okay, well, learning that I got from Dr. This is a family Crusher, show. But that's another fucking story. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> so runners are expected to be self-sufficient over the course of the race, meaning they carry they carry nearly everything they'll need for the whole week in a rucksack, with the exception of water rations that are handed out daily and goat's hair Berber tents to sleep in communally each night. Christ. Yeah, right. Also, do you, do you know what a Berber is? No. I had to, I had to look this up. This all, all this stuff was talking about Bedouins and Berbers, and I was like, I don't. I feel like I don't uh, know anything about this area. I of thought the world. I thought, I thought a, a a Bedouin is more of a a person than a thing. I thought a Bedouin. Yes, yeah, so a Berber is a, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, Berbers are people, uh, the indigenous people of northern Africa, who actually predate the Arabs uh, mm. for being in that region, and are known for being able to, you know, 
because they're indigenous to that region, survive in the incredibly harsh and difficult terrain and they're often nomadic obviously because there aren't a lot of resources in well of course desert and areas the the dwellings that you are offered are made of goat hair did you say goat hair yes mm. so made by berbers of goat mm. hair and everyone <laughs> everyone at the end of the day goes and sleeps in these tents nice. so the run uh is so intense that if runners use more than their daily ration of water, they're actually punished with a time penalty. Oh. They don't fuck around, man. Mm. So these days, about a thousand people participate each year. So while the desert can be vast and desolate, you're also likely to have a few buddies in the vicinity oh, that shit. you can keep an eye on and feel less like you're journeying on Mars alone, Mark Watney. Style. So it isn't even as though this is like a couple of hundred-year-old, like, torture no, practice. No, this, this isn't, is like yeah, like a... People continue <laughs> right. to voluntarily yeah. do. Yeah, this is a current Beautiful. thing. Yes, mm. <laughs> folks do. Um, has been around for about 40 years. <clears throat> or a little less than that. Mm. Um, and yeah, this the thousand people thing wasn't always the case. Uh, the race started in 1986 with just 23 runners at the time. And in its first decade or so of existence, it didn't get vastly larger than that. And with participation with participants only in the dozens spread out over 156 miles, the landscape felt much more sparse. Wow. Whereas now it's kind of like, you know, you see the photos of people going up Mount Everest and it's just like a line of, course. of folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, once I'm, people find out about a hard thing, they have to do it. I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking, what kind of fucking body type do you need to be able to accomplish that <laughs> these just, are some stringy folks like i mean sinew tendon. Yeah, ex- sinewy is exactly the word for what these people look like yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and that'll that'll kind of come around again um just but yeah, human jerky of, yes exactly which is a that's the thing i never want to look like <laughs> so <laughs> one of the reasons, uh, one of the many reasons running doesn't appeal to me is the human yes. jerky look, um, yes. you know. But uh, yeah. in 1994, there were about 80 participants who made their way to Morocco for the Marathon of the Sands, one of which was former Italian police officer Mauro Prosperi. Hey. Hey, Mauro. Hey, mama, go to the Marathon of the Sands. I'll be back <laughs> in a few weeks. Hey. <laughs> which um, is how I- yeah. I think he would have said goodbye to his mum. <laughs> That's probably exactly how he did it. And, and and Mauro was an interesting dude, to say the least. He'd started his career as a pentathlete at the age of seven yeah, due to yeah, a family gotta... friend who was a trainer in Rome at the time. Yeah. And eventually he'd go, to, go on to represent Italy at the Los Angeles Olympic Games in 1984, where apparently he won the gold medal... <laughs> And I say apparently because weirdly, the fact that he won gold is not mentioned on his wiki or in almost any of the articles about him. That and I had to modest. like seek it out. It was Modesty. he's not modest. This dude is oh. not a modest guy. <laughs> it's just like a weird like I think the story I'm about to tell you outweighs anything else that he did in his life. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I it like. Some articles were like he meddled at the Olympics and things like that. And then I finally found in the caption of a BBC video from 2014 that he won the gold medal. <laughs> I was like, wow. oh, okay. Was, Interesting. Did he come out as like a child abuser or something afterwards? Is it is it is it that no. he's a bad guy? No, I'm just the story I'm about to tell you is more interesting than a gold medal, believe it or not. Fair enough. <laughs> Hit me. 
So Mauro <laughs> had clearly grown up accustomed to intense physical activity and discipline, but he also had a uniquely focused, logical, and analytical personality. Yeah. And these things taken together would end up saving Mauro's life when a wayward sandstorm caused him to wander off the marathon trail and find himself lost in the Sahara Desert for over a week. Just Mauro on his own in the Sahara for a week Mm -hmm. in a sandstorm. In a sandstorm. It was the toughest stage of the race, the day characterized by tons of small sand dunes. And anyone who's ever walked on a beach knows running in sand sucks, but doing it up and down hill over and over sounds like a special hell to me. As he ran, little windstorms kicked up, causing spirals of sand to dance in the dunes in ways that were actually quite rhythmic and mesmerizing to look at. He was enjoying it at first. A neat little spectacle in what could otherwise seem a pretty monotonous landscape. Even though there is fucking absolutely just like negative chance of me doing something like an ultramarathon at all. I... (laughs) It, the zone of which you speak is one that I've, I've kind of touched the fringes of. And right. It, it, it is. It is mesmeric. It is. Right. Yeah. It's. 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 It's uh, singular. Yes. It's. It's unique. Yeah. I've never gone. The longest I've ever done is a 10k. I've never gone anywhere to the point of like getting the runner's mm. high that people talk about, where you get that weird euphoria and just like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah enjoying it kind of thing yeah, like no continue. every single second of it sucks every time <laughs> but Mauro uh, didn't give yeah. a fuck he was, he was Mauro was into, into it. it yeah he was enjoying these cute little mini sandstorms but then the wind picked up and before long he was stuck in a major sandstorm completely inhibiting his ability to see where he was going he ran for as long as he could, thinking he could still see the path and unable to find anywhere in the dunes where he could shelter, which is what you're supposed to do. The race organizers had said that runners who got lost should look towards the clouds that clouds that gather at sunset to figure out their position. By the time the sandstorm had cleared, it was dark and there were absolutely no markers around him to figure out where he was and which way he should go to get back on the trail. He knew that if he were in the right place, he should at least see some of the walkers who would have come along later. Yes. But no one ever caught up to him. So it became clear that he was lost, but he wasn't super worried about it. He was already thinking about it as a funny story to tell his friend Giovanni back home. Yes. Silly Mauro, lost in the desert. And his mom got the last on the second week. Hey. Uh, he even enjoyed his night out under the stars, which I can't imagine would be pretty cool with like no pollution, light pollution at all. He described the sky as being so white with stars that it almost suffocates you, which is a kind of a weird way of putting it. Mauro the poet. (laughs) Mm. Sort of a morbid poetry to that. Fucking love that guy. (laughs) Now, before the race, knowing about the whole time punishment for drinking water thing, Mauro had been practicing running long distances while drinking as minimally as possible. Yeah. He had drunk about half of his one liter ration the day before, and when he finished it, he immediately remembered something his dad had told him about his war days. That when things turned dire and they were stuck without supplies, drink drink their own urine. Class of 92... So Mauro figured, look, I've recently downed water. This is the best quality my urine's going to get. And he immediately pissed into his canteen, 
describing yeah. the urine as close to clear, which is, you know, I guess your best case what scenario you yeah, if that's, you're that's later. how you want yeah. it, yeah. If you're going to find yourself drinking piss, yeah. Yeah. Now, multiple articles that I read <laughs> made sure to add the caveat that we know now that drinking is not drinking urine is not recommended in survival situations. It actually has a similar effect to seawater because uh, of the, course. Yeah, the salt and salt the urea content, <laughs> yeah, they end up yes. dehydrating mm. you. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> so you get well, what, it may... you, what the the ultra marathon runners call piss fever, where mm. you just you can't stop drinking piss even when somebody offers you like a you know like a really nice cold bottle of water you're like no and you just they have to physically stop you from pissing in your own mouth it's like a piss mirage i really thought you were serious for a no. second there no and it's like wait a minute nope <laughs> but like but Mauro, you've only that? done 3k oh, okay. <laughs> i drink i, I just piss. can't stop <laughs> is it sterile and i like the taste Anyway, uh, so while it might seem like a smart thing to do out of desperation, you might actually be hastening your doom. Mm. I don't know that this is a thing any of our listeners will ever have to know, but I'd be remiss if I didn't point it out there. If you're ever in a situation where water is scarce, avoid the piss. There are probably other sources you can squeeze out a little hydration, as we'll see with Mauro. But yeah, he stored up a nice little stock of urine. Uh, and he made his way across the desert, doing the vast majority of his journeying during the cooler parts of the day to avoid things like sunburn and heat stroke, which could yeah. obviously absolutely be deadly. Big problem, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, for the first day or so, the race people had no idea Mauro was missing. Ugh. Given the sandstorm, it made sense that he never made it to their tent camp, and they figured he'd just kept on trucking once it cleared up. Again, you've got 80 people spread out over 150 plus miles. Nobody's got a cell phone. There's no drones. Each runner was equipped with a small flare about the size of a pen. And that was it. In the Sahara Desert. In the Sahara Desert. Yeah. Uh, When you started the race, you signed (laughs) forms that told them where to send your body if you died. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) it sounds like that's submersible but anyway uh it was simply (laughs) understood that there are perils out there and it'd be really hard to communicate if you met one so as he walked he saw a helicopter fly overhead and assumed that it was looking for him it was so low he said that he could see the pilot's white helmet he shot his <laughs> tiny uh, his tiny flare in the air and yeah. waved his Italian flag, but the pilot didn't see him, even when he ran after him to try to flag him down. The helicopter pilot simply wasn't expecting anyone to be down there, so he wasn't paying attention. And Mauro, well, he just kept walking. Yeah. At this point, most of us would be in a bit of a panic, but not Mauro. He just looked at it as being a different challenge than the one he signed up for. And he was super fucking proficient at challenges. It's an incredible state of mind, that, isn't it? That's an incredible kind of... And he will get... His state of mind will get more and more incredible and difficult to fathom as this goes on. On day two of his sojourn, he came upon what's called a Marabout Shrine, which is basically a structure built in honor of a Muslim holy person. Inside this shrine was a sarcophagus containing the corpse of just such a holy man. 
and no a shit ton of bats. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. Don't I you see dare, Maro. Yeah, nope, 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 nope. Okay. So he affixed his flag to the top of the shrine and he sheltered inside, figuring someone would see it if they were to fly overhead or pass by and they'd know he was in there. In the meantime, he had to eat. His bag contained mostly dehydrated food, obviously. And well, Bruv didn't have any fresh water. Yeah. So he cooked it up <laughs> in fresh urine. Not oh, the nice. stuff from the canteen, just peed right into his travel pot. He was... Shake it up. Yeah, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> he was obviously concerned about dehydration, though, and he knew he had to conserve his rations. Yeah. So he looked to the bats. He, he caught about 20 of them and then squeezed them to death in his bare hands. He then drank their blood rather than cooking them up. Uh, which was the right choice because blood is hydrating and at least somewhat nutritious, while too much protein apparently can contribute to the dehydration. Listeners, my face right now. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming. You were worried about the sarcophagus. You didn't think about the bats. I thought he was going to like eat the remains of this fucking Muslim holy guy, not <laughs> oh, no. bring Squeeze out 20 bats. living bats. Yeah. Fucking hell, Mauro. Right? Does he yeah. still? Does I'm I, I, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I, just, I I need to know if this guy still lives. He's still alive. Yes. Ross! <laughs> the scourge um, of bat kind. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> um, he said he figured that cooking him on his little stove would have dried them out, which is obviously the opposite of what he wanted. Mm. In one uh, in one interview, he described what he'd done to the bats as a repellent thing to do, but I was crazed with hunger. However, in another article, he said that he'd only done to them what they do to their prey, uh, which, you know, he's not wrong. <laughs> wow. He buried their little bodies in the sand outside of the marabout as a gesture of respect. He told the Guardian, quote, that's how I am, very ordered in things. And it seemed just to me, if I have to kill an animal to live, I will bury the remains. I gotta so tell you, I... <laughs> I cannot remember being as into a fucking story on Joag as I am right now. This guy <laughs> is my patron saint. I fucking I love him. I knew you'd like this dude. <laughs> yep. Soon he heard the sound of another aircraft. Uh, so he quickly shoved all his stuff in his rucksack and ran outside to light a fire. But as he did, another sandstorm blew through, rendering him, rendering him invisible to the airplane passing overhead. Needless to say, he was frustrated, and after two different aircraft had failed to rescue him, he started thinking about his mortality. And you'll not be shocked to find that, as with everything else, he thought about it not emotionally, but yes. practically. Yes. I'm, I, I'm just envisioning him waving his arms to try and get the attention of this aircraft, like a wing hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> bat blood piss all over him. <laughs> you pick up Mauro, eh? That, you know what I mean? <laughs> the plane's just like, nope. Absolutely Fuck. Not. <laughs> Whatever Do that not is, land. nah. Keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> well, at the time, Mauro was married with three kids. And as a former policeman, if he died, they were entitled to his pension. Oh, that's a shame. But there was one caveat. In Italy, you needed a body. If someone simply disappeared, there'd be no pension for the family. I see. He said, quote, I felt a bit guilty. I thought maybe it would have been better if I didn't come. 
because if I walk towards the clouds, I don't know if I'll arrive. And if I die, they'll never find my body. In the desert, within a few days, everything disappears. Only the skeleton remains. So, better safe than sorry, he decided. If he died in the marabout, someone would eventually find the body and his family could get the payout. Yeah. Thus, he decided he'd slit his wrists and get it over with since he didn't want to slowly and painfully die of thirst and starvation. <laughs> the way he talks about this is like so matter of fact. Like, like were you, you know, you were know, you worried? Did it, were you bothered by that, doing this? He was like, no, I just had to, I made a decision and I did it. When you think about all of the guys we've spoken about in the past who've hacked off something or other to right. save themselves from some situation, it, it is that very cool, very flinty mm-hmm. pragmatism. I it was It was cut off my arm with a pen knife all right. day. And I'm not, you know. It's just usually the other way, right? Like it's a practicality about like, I need to live, so I have to do this. As opposed to like, yes. oh, guess I need to die for yes. like a very <laughs> like specific, yeah, abstract, very specific but specific, yeah. like, you know, like you still don't know for sure this is going to work, but okay. Yeah. And what's he going to uh, slit his wrists with, by the way? He had like a small knife with him. Keep in mind, like he has a rucksack full of everything he might need over okay, the course okay, of okay. a week, right? Um, so he had a small knife, and but that's the thing. It was like not meant for wrist cutting. So, you know, bit of an endeavor. Um, but by this time... He was severely dehydrated to the point where he'd stopped urinating. So when he cut his wrists, the blood had coagulated too much to actually drain from his body. He was, in fact, too dehydrated to die. His blood had coagulated (coughs) internally. Mm -hmm. He was pumping nothing but scabs. Yeah, just like a (sighs) gross thing to think about. I can't even imagine. You just cut. Imagine you cut yourself. And you're looking at it and like waiting for it to bleed and just nothing comes this, out. This is the outer edge that we talk about on Joe Act, isn't it? This is the fucking, <laughs> right? you know, no, not many people get to experience that, right. that level of yeah, consciousness or unconsciousness or whatever yeah. it is. If, I, I'm so fucked. I can't even bleed right now. That's fucking wild. <laughs> right. Yeah. When he woke up in the morning, you know, not dead, he mm. was like, all right, well, must be some sort of sign or whatever and it's not time for me to go yet guess it's off towards the clouds then so he had a little swig of his canteen urine and off he went (laughs) yeah yeah as he headed toward what he hoped was the direction of the race or at least civilization he found snakes and mice under trees killed them and mashed them up in a cup he had found in the marabout (laughs) i did not see any yeah, I didn't see any details of how he did this in the articles, but maybe that's for the best. No one needs that mental image of the mashed snake process in the cup. Uh, um, he, <laughs> I love your face right now, just like complete like bewilderment, like holy just crap. Bringing out bats with his bare hands, making a fucking Squashing you know a snakes, yes, yeah, snake, snake movies. and mouse, snake and rodent compote. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, He also ate large ants and chewed on the leaves of succulents for the water they contained. Yes, yes. This method seems to be approved by all sources. Don't drink the pee, chew the succulents. Okay. And in spite of all this, he wasn't having that bad a time. He loves the desert, he explained. He was getting an incredible view every day, probably stuff he wouldn't have had time to appreciate had he simply been running past trying to get the best time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He even went so far as to say he wasn't afraid. Quote, I don't fear death. It's suffering that makes you scared. If you don't suffer, you don't feel fear. 
And I mean, for most of us, you know, wandering through sandstorms and subsisting on bat blood and crushed up mice would absolutely be considered suffering. Oh, yeah. That's not, you know, something's gone wrong, hasn't it? If, if that's happening. <laughs> right. But that's a, that's the thing. <clears throat> he, you know, like I said, he was looking at it as a challenge and it was one he was finding himself meeting consistently. Uh, he went on to say, I lived with death arm in arm next to me every day. Death became a friend of mine. It was close to me, was with me always every day. I looked to survive and death kept me company positively, not even negatively. It gave me the force, the strength to not succumb. And he further explained that he sought to survive the situation by normalizing it, seeing it as the most normal thing in the world that he was there and acting accordingly. So are, are you getting these quotes from a book or from a website? Or? Uh, from interviews. Wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd quite like to read some of Myro's musings. Well, for lucky for snack. you. I really would. I really would. I, I think that's... that's <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. lucky for you, the sources are, of course, in the, on the blog and in the description on uh, of the podcast. But yes, I would I love to... I won't do it in, in my Myro voice either. I'll do it in like... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that would make a great little <laughs> snack. Um... I eat to the bat. I mash it a fucking snack. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so I think that's fascinating. The idea, like like you said, right? Like all those things should be signs that something, something's gone wrong. His method was to mm. not think that, to think this is normal and yeah. proceed like it was normal. And that this was how he kind of kept himself going. Yeah, straight yeah. up, he's this is that's fine exactly, dog, for he's sure. A, this is fine meme, isn't he? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, finally, he saw something moving in the distance, which he at first mistook for camels, but then realized were goats and a young girl tending them. She ran and got the adult women, the men were all at the market at the time, and they gave him goat milk and set him up in a shady veranda since they couldn't bring a man inside their homes. That's a time penalty right there. <laughs> that is definitely, goat's milk in the veranda is for That's sure a, a time penalty. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, after nine and a half days, it turned out that he had walked 180 miles turning up in a Berber village in Algeria. <laughs> and because of the tensions between the two countries, he'd been lucky as he'd been traipsing through an area scattered with landmines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the military police came and they blindfolded and detained him, thinking that he was up to no good, coming from Morocco. Just um, look at the fucking guy, for fuck's sake. Look right. at him. If he's up to no good, you don't have to worry about it. Like, yeah. This is, he, yeah, <laughs> he's like reverse Tahrir, basically. <laughs> um, but we, they, should, we should cover that guy. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a good story to tell. Yeah. Um, but they found his race papers and realized he was the lost runner that people were talking about. So they took off his blindfold and they celebrated that they had finally found this guy. He spent a week in the hospital there unable to eat solid food, his liver near failure, and having lost 35 pounds over his ordeal, weighing in at just 99 pounds. Let the the pound, pounds and uh, uh, ounces mean nothing to me. Hang on oh. a second. 99 pounds. I believe it's 43 uh, ki kilograms. Uh, stone. I'm a stone oh, guy. Stone. Come on, uh, man. How can you guys have so many measures? Stones. <laughs> 
Yeah, and starting at Whoa. like so, look for what one hundred and thirty-four pounds is. Um, mm. That me, I don't know how tall he was, but he was already clearly a wisp of a man even before that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I weighed what he weighed when he started when I was like fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I, 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 fucking seven stone. I. I that is that that beggars belief. That is incredible. Yeah, right, and. There were, naturally, many folks who didn't believe this, including <sighs> the founder of the marathon, Patrick Bauer, who claimed that it was a fabrication and that yes, it was physiologically impossible for him to survive the way he did. People assumed it was a publicity stunt. And, well, if anyone could pull off that kind of thing just for attention, it'd probably be Mauro Prosperity. Mm -hmm. uh, but it seems there's plenty of evidence that he did just what he said he did. For example, there are scars on his wrists from attempting to take his life. Mm. Uh, he went back to the Marabout with a news crew, and they were able to dig up the corpses of the bats that he'd eaten and buried. Uh, and they also found some of his effects that he'd left behind there. And there's like certainly, it all checks out. Yeah, there's certainly no disputing that he did turn up in Algeria and that he'd gotten there severely hydrated, dehydrated to the point of near liver failure and experiencing extreme weight loss. It honestly would make less sense for him to have faked it because literally how? Like, what would that yeah, even and mean? Why? Yeah, 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 yeah. To what end? Like, <laughs> to, yeah, to what end? And like, like how? Like, are they proposing that like someone drove him there and then he just like sat on the edge of the desert until he was yeah. dehydrated and yeah. like weighed little enough? Or like, like what? What's what the end game be, there? If you, if you pull on that thread, yeah. what, right? What you, like, just yeah. what's the process? How would that work? <laughs> You know, they saw him nine and a half days ago weighing 134 pounds and yeah. now he's 99. Like, OK. But anyway, wow. Mauro was able to return home to his wife and kids in Italy, where it took him two years to fully recover physically from his desert adventure. Mm. But I bet he did another one, didn't he? Yeah, he didn't stay away from the desert for long. He returned to the Marathon of the Sands in 1997, finishing this time. And ran it an additional nine times before retiring in 2017 oh. at the age of 62. The fucking king of Joag. That's what he is. King the, of the Joag. Absolute ruler of us all. I mean, he's a cop, so. Oh, he's a cab, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Other than a, that. Other than that. Give it up for Mauro, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I shall be I shall be seeking out more on this man. Uh I am at. I am enthralled. I am inspired. I am once again Corrigan in awe. Let me quote directly from my notes, if I may. Yes, please do. Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise en scène. I don't think anyone has ever said mise en scène in such a horny way before. The way I wish the word sex cannibal was. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's hot so, outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm fucking, I'm going to love it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you should think about it. Right. Corey, is this coming through? Corey, is this... Can you hear us? Can you... Can you... Can you hear us, listeners? Can you... Is this coming through? Because I think I've done it. I think I've done it. Oh, right, this... Fuck! I've done it. I've 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 unentangled the quantum fucking graviton subspace oh omni transmission matrix. I think I've done it. Corey, can you hear me? 
I can I can hear you, Mark. Yes, good. And and I can hear you as well. Great. So we've done it, listeners. Oh my fucking god. This episode of Jack of All Graves is coming to you live from the fucking the 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 fucking nega universe, right? The mirror universe, opposite world. Mirror I Jack. have I have done some sci-fi shit to Garage Band mm. and you are talking to Mark Lewis and Corrigan Edmondson, but not the ones that you know. We're opposite versions of ourselves. And this, this Jack of all graves that we've been hosting in this reality for the past three years is a positive, upbeat podcast full of That's reasons right. to feel optimistic and, and renewed and strong and validated. Word has reached us hasn't it, Corey? That 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 you've been listening for the past three fucking years to a a a, a version of Joag where everything is fucked permanently. That sounds, that sounds absolutely awful. I don't know why anyone would listen to that. Isn't that weird? The world so, is full of magic and joy. The world, it, it, we're on the right path. Everything is going to be great. And this this podcast, Jack of All Graves, where we're from, Mirror Universe, Mark and Corey. We meet every Sunday to talk about just how much and how hard we're nailing it, you know? Exactly. Uh, so I thought this week we'd give you guys over there in, in, in what we see as, as kind of nega world, opposite world, uh, a joag just for one week where you get to fucking just, you get to feel like things are cool. You get to feel like things are okay. You get to feel like we're on the way, the right path. The right future awaits us. And that's what you're tuned into right now. I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you're hearing these, these, this broadcast. But the fact that you're here means my experiments have worked. Listen. I'm really excited. There we go. <laughs> it's worked. It's worked. The dial-up has worked. Fantastic. <laughs> so listen. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to a, a, a very, very, very special Jack of All Graves. Uh, in which... We fucking dust off the despair for a week and we park the panic and we bench the fucking, the worry and the terror and the dread and we dare to ask and we dare to look and we dare to fucking believe that there's a way forward and that we might be okay and that the world is actually gonna fucking sort itself out because there's proof right there's evidence there are things we can look to there are metrics and fucking lines and charts and graphs and maps that we can look at that give us hope because hope is the dimension that that me and cory come from right not like those other fucking weirdos that you keep listening to week in week out who the fuck would listen to a podcast like that jack of all graves is a celebration because we're nailing it we're getting it right and we're going to talk about that this week what do you say i'm excited to expose this mirror universe to the joys mm. of our times. Yes. How are things uh, in uh, Mirror Universe, uh, where you live, America? <laughs> <laughs> just, like a different name or something over on this side. Um, listen, I just I just got back from visiting friends, which was yes, delightful. Uh, oh, just that. like the most wonderful little kids that I love to hang out with. We had you know marshmallows and s'mores in the backyard all kinds mm. of stuff got to see friends that i love so dearly um one of the kids jade is jade. uh jade yes uh hence the 
the little tattoos, the ruby and the jade on my arm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> The kids are ruby and jade. Jade is a sleepwalker. Uh, she she has the night terrors and things like that, too. But those have calmed down a bit, and she's mostly a sleep talker and yes. walker. Yes. This ended up activating a new fear in me that I had no idea I had um, that was honestly comical. So <laughs> I got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I was sleeping on the couch, you know. Go to the bathroom. I go to open the door. It's pitch dark in the house, right? It's like 2, 3 a.m. Open the door, and there is just a child standing silently in the doorway, staring in. And I screamed because I was not expecting this. There had not been a child when I went in there. Uh, And I went, oh, you scared me. Um, And she just repeats back, oh, you scared me. (laughs) <laughs> and then walks into the bathroom and closes the door. I was like, Jesus Christ. Her mom comes out Excellent. and is like, is everything okay? And I was like, yeah, no, Jade, Jade just terrified me sleepwalking into the bathroom. I can, I can relate. I'm, I'm certain I've, I'm certain I would have told this on Jog before, but Pete also is a sleepwalker. Uh, and since, since he hasn't done it in a while, but we, we now bolt the door as well at night. Yeah. Just in case. Because it's terrifying, right? Yes, so this is. is the thing is I'm sleeping in the living room, so there's no mm. door. And for the next several days, I simply could not sleep until I hadn't heard Jade like sleep talk or anything for at least like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, she can appear at any moment. And my, like <laughs> stress level was through the- and I would like once I fell asleep, I'd like wake up every like twenty yeah. minutes, just like is Jade uh, here? <laughs> do you know? I, 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 I'm certain that there's been research done into this, right? But mm-hmm. that fucking wacky kind of bendy, malleable reality kind of not quite where it should be kind of buffer betwixt mm-hmm. the sleeping and waking worlds, man. Right. Fucking, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> just right. this week, right? Just this fucking week. Um, I, I woke up. Laura was busy like, getting ready for work. She had showered or whatever. And I was like, oh, thank you. Because I was convinced she'd said to me, all right, Mark, we can get a wrestling ring in the garden. <laughs> and uh, and this was just as I was waking up. I'd, I'd clearly been having some kind of wrestling related dream. And I was like, oh, great. So like, what fuck you on about? Um, I was convinced that we were, we were getting a wrestling ring. <laughs> that would probably leaked over from the other universe. Other Mark is, is getting a wrestling ring. Oh, maybe he is. <laughs> that lucky bastard. But it, yeah, but he's also getting you know angsty with all of the, the fucking weird really shit those point. guys talk about every week. So it's a good balance, it. I guess. Yes, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> that is amazing, though. <laughs> so yeah, this is a, this is a fear I didn't know that I had. Apparently, is sleepwalkers. It had never yeah. occurred to me how terrifying. Uh, well, there was one time when I was in high school. I was sleeping over at my friend Nick's house, and I was on the couch, and he was on the floor. And he had night terrors, which he had never mentioned before. Uh, And so all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, he starts just screaming bloody murder. Like, just as if someone was taking an axe to him. It was horrifying. And I just, like, I just remember that, like, afterwards, like, I was just sitting there because he stopped. And it was like nothing had ever happened. And I was just lying on the couch, like, uh, uh. Incredible. That's (laughs) Uh, that's one, definitely one for future. I'm sure we will have done that. Yeah. No, like, I don't think we have discussed have we not, night Like, terrors. years back, I'm sure we talked about, like, people on Ambien getting away with stabbing Oh, yes, we did talk about the Ambien defense, for sure. But, like, not in a natural way, because that's because yes. of drugs, not, yes. you know. 
yeah not because it's just what your brain is doing and, you know i'm i'm I've, I've done you'll be shocked to learn absolutely no research into the topic but it feels to me as though <laughs> it's always kind of on the way in or on the way out of sleep well it? there's it's something to funky, that right like yeah. the the liminal space or whatever between sleeping and waking where it's like for mm. like i think we have mentioned before like i always i can like kind of control my dreams at that point you know that there's like a like little a bit of warrior like, made like More a dream warrior it. right yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. like there's like there's always something about that little in between you'd be state. the wizard master wouldn't you <laughs> oh for sure yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah that was but otherwise it was a you know delightful week i got to see my friend cynthia on the day yes. that her show premiered which was very Excellent. cool to get to Blows me away that celebrate a, you know a famous that's so cool <laughs> i do know i know a few famouses but cynthia's my favorite famous um and you know got to celebrate with her that uh sag strike is over and she's been working so hard she became during this like she's now a delegate for a delegate for sag nice, um nice. which you know this is really she's always trying to do her best to be a part of like you know, any kind of action mm. for anything. Um, it's like when she sees a cause, she really wants to like actively be a part of it, you know? Um, and so over the course of this, she became a SAG delegate, which is very Wonderful. cool. And so it was great to get to catch up with her. Just a lovely little jaunt. And now mm. I'm happy to be home in yes. Autumn, New Jersey. How about you, Mark? Uh, look, things are fucking, things are fine here in, in the realm of the you know in the fucking level of the dark tower that we reside on work is going fine <laughs> my family a fucking a wonderful bunch of lads uh went to see my darling 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 mother this weekend and spent some time hanging out with her um look we find ourselves as we mm. do every sunday back together you and i face to face that's right you know separated by a screen and a fucking ocean and nothing else you know what i mean we we we, it's true. we think as one mind we speak as one voice and we bring you this week just the fucking the truth the message that you are you have the fucking right to exist mm, and as a yeah. as we do as a fucking species right so let's fucking keep that vibe for this week's jack of all graves you I know what think else about is great what we could fucking do yeah go on i wanted a potato and now keo is making jacket potatoes okay right <laughs> Show me 10 different people. I'll show you 10 different ways to have a jacket potato. Mm. You've got a full fridge. You, what are you going to do? Uh, butter, sour cream, chives, and cheese. Oh, boring. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I like it, man. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair I don't, enough. Although, you, guys, you guys go kind of nutty with your... Like, you put, like, whole meals in your baked potatoes. Yeah, beans mainly. You're going to get a <laughs> yeah, load of beans in them. You're going to get maybe yeah. some tuna mayo. Beans and a potato. That's just like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate them. I hate, I, I'm texture boy, as you know. Um, yeah, you don't like you don't like a baked potato. I love it. I love a baked potato. But I don't like oh, you don't like beans, beans goes, in your If it fucking, potato. if it even touches or goes near or carries the fucking whiff of bean on it. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll <laughs> pass. Do you generally not like beans or just in a potato context? All beans. All beans. Don't like them. Don't like the texture. Don't like the texture. Oh, the texture just, just absolutely gips me right out. Um, I can get that's like soft in the middle and a, with a weird jacket on it. Exactly. The mush. It, see also peas. See also corn. It's that. It's the one texture I cannot have anything to do with. But other than that, I'm quite low maintenance. <laughs> I don't know that's entirely true, but... Uh... It is. No, it is. <laughs> no, definitely. Very, very low maintenance. Um, good. Well, anyways... 
go on, Mark. I'm sorry. I interrupted with my potato, um, but I'm very excited about the potato. Good. Uh, as as now am I, and as now are our listeners. Um, <laughs> but what I thought might be a nice start for us this week, mm. right, since I've put such a lot of work into tuning the, you know, the, the, the fucking... Frequencies, getting the, us the on the, quantum the right vibration. And the subspace fucking, you know... Shangalangs. I thought it might be a good idea for us to, because in this universe we still watch horror movies, don't we? Oh, obviously, yeah. In clearly. this universe, we're still big, 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 big consumers of that fucking genre we love called horror. But I thought it might be a nice idea to kind of just reaffirm why, right? Because mm, mm-hmm. fuck's sake, if if horror is damaging and has depictions of fucking abuse and missing limbs and fucking monsters and dead stuff and blood. Are you just Why? quoting your Blue Sky profile? Yeah, there's a story to that. There's a story to that. Um, <laughs> one time years back, um, I don't even know what, where, the, why the conversation started or where it was going. But I, uh, my, my, one of my oldest and best friends, Ang Harrod, is. Uh, I think you might, have you met Ang Harrod? Have you ever spoken? To I haven't actually met okay. Ang Harrod, but I have um, heard many wonderful I, things about her. I asked her to sum up what my movie taste is, and those were the words she replied <laughs> oh, with. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, Horror, abuse, dead stuff, monsters, and missing limbs. And that has been on every single social media profile I've had since then because she nailed it. Very nice. But if it is that minging, why do we watch it? Why do we get so much out of it? Your little th- thumbs down thing. Oh, is it still doing that? You keep have, I ta- have I taught you all of the other? You have. You showed me your other ones. Yeah, Sorry, go on. It's just you, it, twice in a row you got the thumbs down. If, and it is, if horror is a a genre which seeks to portray the dark, the nasty, the horrid, the icky, the creepy, the fucking, the uncanny, the unusual. Why? Do you ever call her Ang Horrid? No. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> but if she was, if she was going to do a Halloween username. Yeah, if she's going to change yeah. her, you know, you can just throw that out to her if she ever needs a Halloween name for something. I shall, I shall. I'm seeing her in a couple of weeks, so I will do just that. What do you, what do you get out of horror? That's okay. I love the way that you framed this. <laughs> I love the way that you framed this as, you know, the joyful element of horror. Because we have talked before mm. about, you know, like why we watch horror, or even some of the like the catharsis of horror and mm. distancing yourself from the, you know, things that are scary by watching them, that kind of yep. thing. You know, there's a yep. lot of reasons many smart people have talked about when it comes to why people are attracted to horror. But I love this idea of, like, the joy of it because I don't feel like that gets enough credit, right? No. So, like, our dear boffin Eileen uh, just watched a movie I absolutely love last night that I've been struggling to get you to watch for years because you reject the premise outright. But she watched Velocipaster. Yes. Um, and as I've said, I'm like, it is made as if it's a bad movie, but it's actually really good and it's really well made. <laughs> the uh-huh. cinematography is good. The editing is great. The music is good. All this kind of stuff. Um, and when I think about like, you know, the joy of horror, yeah, I think of like, for example, something like that, that takes a genre that we watch and has certain, you know, tropes and things that we love about it and stuff like that. And certain things that people botch all the time and yeah. taking it and being able to celebrate all of that in yeah. a way that also like is funny and makes us laugh and like yeah. just points to the things that we uh, love and hate about the genre. 
Yeah. Like stuff like that or like things like like killer clowns from outer space or, you know, all of this stuff is like about having fun. Yes. Right. That like a, a, a lot of people percent. can't. Yeah. A lot of people can't process it. Like why? It's not. It's just not fun to watch a horror movie. I don't like watching your list of limbs mm. and dead things and abuse mm-hmm. and whatever stuff like that. Uh, but it can be and often is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And I feel like we don't like we don't necessarily recognize that enough. Exactly. And while over in your universe, your Mark and Corey every week, you know, chat about what they've seen, chat about what they've been listening to, talk about what it did for them. I think, you know, because we're bringing you this fucking pan-dimensional good vibes show this week, I just, I, I want you know, I thought it was a, a, a good idea to kick off with just exactly what it is that we're loving right now about horror. You know, I, it's 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 almost a language that you learn, isn't it? You learn the mm, fucking mm-hmm. the tricks and the tropes. We've talked plenty of times about how we are fucking so sick to death of a, somebody closing a fucking bathroom cabinet and seeing right. a fucking gribbly behind them, blah, blah, blah. You'll know that I am on a personal quest to trace the earliest instance mm. of the no signal trope. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and yes. I, I didn't mention this the other week, but we yeah. we found a fucking an instance from 1987. Yeah. What was right? it that we were watching that had that? It was House 2. That's right. House 2. House 2, the second story. And it happens off camera. Um, mm-hmm. it, You know, it hap- it's, a, it's a character off camera, just offhandedly saying, God damn, car phone doesn't work here. <laughs> 1987. That's a, zero, that's a no that's signal. That's definitely trouble. a contender for uh, it's got, the earliest. It's got to be. I thought Red Eye in 2005 was the earliest one, but nope. There's one on almost clear decade before that from 1987. Two and I swear decades. to God, 87, 90. You fuck. <laughs> it's amazing how you do that. Um, but that right. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating for a second. When I heard that line, I I experienced joy. Yes, something 100%. that has just become uh, in every horror movie. Because of course, there is no situation that couldn't be solved in a horror movie by having a working mobile phone. Right? There's nothing that couldn't be fixed with it. So I love it. It it gives me a little fucking dopamine hit whenever somebody goes, "Oh man, no service," or you know what I mean yeah I just I, I love seeing a creative writer or a creative cinematographer f- work that into a movie in a way that doesn't make you go oh fuck there it is you know what I mean it's just <laughs> it's 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 a little way that horror has come to reflect society but also has to really just eliminate a problem that society right. has given it society has got tech has gone and fucking <clears throat> killed a genre <laughs> like that's the thing is it 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 could very well, right? Yes. Like it is so easy for like technology to like where it stands right now, just make most of our storylines obsolete. Yeah. Kind of like how yeah. we were discussing last week that it's super hard to like there maybe are not as many serial killers now, um, because like it's just really hard to get away with it. Mm. Which by the way, just on that note, I actually did watch an episode of Dateline this week, um, about a serial killer uh, known as the Gilgo Beach Killer from New okay. York, and he killed four sex workers. 
Um, and like it was like this whole thing that took like it was like the 90s, like the early 90s. And they only found him recently with like DNA stuff and things like that, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, but like the story is wild. Um, I'm sure there will soon be like a Netflix documentary about it. But they just found him like six months ago or something like Which that. Which is another thing you know I adore, you know. Mm-hmm. Killers. There are killers out there right now who were fucking sitting pretty. Yeah, they're about yes, to I'm get a, their belts Might even wrong. do a couple more. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I got away with the others so fucking expertly yep. and smoothly. Just waiting for that knock on the doors. DNA fucking exactly. tech and other kind of tech catches up. So cool. So, so, so cool. Gives me joy. <laughs> not the murders. Not the <laughs> not murders. The murders. No, 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 no. The fact uh, that, you know, society <clears throat> always nipping at the heels and uh, distance right. and time does not diminish, uh, you know, blame and fucking crime and punishment and whatnot. Yeah. But on even on that note of like, you know, when there's certain tropes that are super annoying or things like that, there's also just that little like it can be fun even pointing those things out. Like I remember when we were like miserably watching Bly Manor and there was one of those mirror jump scare mm. type things, you know, whatever. Being able to be like, ah, they did the thing or whatever, yep. you know, like yep. getting to know a genre so deeply and intimately it's that you great. can like predict those moments and stuff like yep. that is fun in and of itself. Even when something is bad, there's a degree mm. of like recognition in exactly. it. Exactly. And even, even though our Joag is all about positivity and building up the, you know, and, and moving forward into the future with bright eyes and big smiles and, and open hearts. I, I don't think that you fucking rom-coms just ain't as textually rich you know <laughs> uh, uh, maybe action is yes definitely horror is yes definitely but i mean it's horror as a genre i think has so much fucking protein to it you know mm. it's mm-hmm. it's substantial man and to write it off has just been a oh, fucking weirdo watching that weird shit what the fuck is wrong with you i think it's to do it such a disservice yeah um it is a broad church it is a wide umbrella and mm-hmm you know the the it, it, you, you're never finished there's no you never you've right. never completed horror there's always more to just learn and and, and dive into and that's it's it's been a lifelong love affair yeah absolutely mm. i mean you know you could see i think coming out of the halloween season it's just like a, the epitome of watching people experience the joy of horror yeah, for a month yeah, straight, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just having like a joyful time. But even the kinds of stuff that I like watch during Halloween season are sort of intentionally the kinds of things that like they don't make you feel bad or anything like nope. that. It's just like maybe about murders and stuff, but it's fun. Even yeah. like, you know, one of my favorite horror things that we, we had an episode on early on, but is that kind of like an extreme kill that is just so absurd oh. that it makes you laugh. Yeah, you exactly. Know, exactly. That, it makes like, you want to applaud. Um, right, that moment where you're just like, like, oh, <laughs> I can't believe that just that just happened. You yes. know? <laughs> like, and I guess, again, I don't have anything in particular against rom-coms, but I keep going back to them as, you know... <laughs> I like a rom-com. You're not going to watch a rom-com and see something that you physically have never, ever seen before. <laughs> I Yet. guess, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Yet, well, it, you know, there's still yeah. there's still fucking space in horror to show you stuff which you'd never imagined. You can, mm-hmm. there's, you know, I don't think there's an upper limit on ways to dismember another human. 
<laughs> sure. And the, and the thing being, I think I can't remember if it was you and I who were talking about this, but like you know, the fact that there's room to put rom com in horror or things like that, mm. right? You can overlap it with other things uh, in yes. ways you can't. So yeah, you might see something. Yeah, there are rom coms that are horror. So you know, one of my favorites, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes. Phenomenal horror rom com. That's uh, a the, very good time. The little scene. Uh, British uh, kind of independent genre flick, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, um, you know, I think you might have might have heard of it. If if I, if you can find it, if you can lay your hands on a copy, it's a tough uh, one. Yeah, crossover with you know rom coms with that genre does it brilliantly, but it, it is quite hard to pick up. So you know you might have to kind of <laughs> have to like have your library order it specially or something. Exactly, hang out at some movie fairs or maybe you know. Uh, use the way back machine or something like that if you can find right. it yes great crossover potential <coughs> great creativity uh and it's 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 just an absolute joy to have a lifelong love affair with a genre which is still still to this day delighting surprising and enriching my life here here I love mm. that. So what horrors did you watch this week? Well, you've been away, haven't you? So you don't I have been away. They, I have only watched one movie this week. That's, yeah, because I didn't even watch anything on the plane back. I talked about what I watched on the plane there. Um, mm. But I I have been itching to rewatch Truman Show, um, which I haven't seen in so? probably... I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's one of those things that just like keeps on coming to mind that I'm like, I just really want to watch Truman Show. Mm. Um, I haven't seen it in probably 15 to 20 years. <laughs> like It's been a long time. Um, and I was just like, yesterday, you know, we were tired, had just gotten home from California. We're like, what are we going to do? Um, mm. And just idly opened Paramount Plus and Truman Show was one of the first suggestions. I was like, just fucking putting on Truman Show. Um, and... The show is, I mean, the show, the movie, uh, uh, most people have probably seen or heard of it. It's been referenced or things like that. But on the off chance, you're like a Zoomer whose parents have never introduced you to this or whatever. Um, The basis of the Truman Show is that Jim Carrey plays a guy who was born on television and has lived his entire life in this big dome uh, under the watchful eye of... TV, uh, as people have just watched him grow, every single second of his life has been aired on television with people watching it, but he does not know this. So everyone around him are actors, uh, which is like when I saw it, when I was a little kid, I used to think that was like what mm. life was. Wow. Uh, and like I was ter- wow. like I would turn around pictures in like rooms and stuff like that because I thought they were like cameras and things like that. So when this movie came out, I was somewhat convinced that they were fucking with me. And I was like, they're telling me what they're doing. Are you, are you, <laughs> like, fuck, are you fucking with me right now? Are you no, I'm not fucking with you. I genuinely, like, it stressed me out when I was a kid because I thought, like, life was a TV show and that people were secretly watching my every move. And then this movie came out and I was like, is this, well, well, well. Is this confirmation? <laughs> Telling me that I'm being watched and now everyone's watching a movie that I'm watching and they're making fun of me while I watch this. Um, yeah, so it stressed me I out I did a not bit. know that about you. <laughs> Here's a fun little, you know, Corey mm. fact. Um, it, yeah, I don't know. I was a paranoid little kid. I was just afraid of people watching me. Uh, so uh, anyways, it is very funny that now like I have a podcast and stuff like that. I, I was, do a lot of public uh, yeah. things. Like that when I was like, I don't. Me. 
I don't want to be observed or perceived at any <laughs> point when I was a kid. Like, hide under the table if people came over. Yes. But Truman Show, uh, incredible cast. Like, every time someone wanders into a scene, even as a side character, you're like, it's Paul Giamatti. <laughs> you know, I it's, you know, all can't these... claim to have seen it since it came out. Okay, so like 1998 or whatever. Yeah. If you watch it now, ago. you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, 10 years ago in 1998. Uh, if you watched it now, you would, every scene, you're just like, oh, all of these people are very famous now. Mm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's an interesting movie on many, obviously at the time it was sort of like the early days of reality TV. And that was kind of what it was like talking to and about our like culture of um, surveillance and our culture of um sort of voyeurism and how yeah. we were taking in these kinds of things and what what would it mean if we extrapolated that to someone who is an unwilling participant in it, right? Um, and today, watching it, I was just like, this is like functionally no different than like family influencers on TikTok, which I am yes. deeply against, <laughs> um, you know, and, and there are kids who have grown up as part of influencer families who now are talking about like the fact that yeah. like, this was basically abuse, you know, um, like they're working and not getting paid. A term that I, I'm certain you would have seen and I'm seeing, and I don't know if it, I'm seeing it more and more, uh, but it's a term which I, which I deeply, deeply, deeply fucking, it makes me very uncomfortable is uh, when individuals refer to others as NPCs. Fuck right. Off, mate. Do you yes. know? Talk about entitlement. Talk about oh, fucking God, main character syndrome. That's terrifying. Yeah. Sickening. And obviously Elon Musk famously has said that. Um, yes. And for those who don't know what an NPC is, a non-playable character. It's a non-player game, character. Right? So like when you're walking around Vice City <laughs> or, you know, Spider-Man's New York, it'll be a character who walks past you going, hmm, gotta get home, feed the cat. You know what I mean? Just somebody <laughs> the with pre-recorded you the quest that you have to go on. Exactly. Or, you know, whatever. Six pre-recorded kind of lines of dialogue. <laughs> Essentially, you're not me, so you don't matter. That's right. that's exactly. the vibe. And if if ah, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to think, but don't that anyone <laughs> using that term does so. You know, with self awareness and and knows how <laughs> much of a massive fucking prick you sound when you right. when you use it well it's like as if i never grew out of my truman show mentality is what that is right yes. like you know yes. the thing about me as a child thinking this is like to a degree it's just growing up in a stressful household and i didn't want anyone to see me that kind of thing mm. but it also entails the like childlike narcissism of like not being able to quite conceive that you're not the main character you know yeah. and that like everyone around you kind of is an npc as far as you're concerned you once they're out of your view you can't like kind of yeah, understand that they have a life that they're oh, doing too. And inevitably, like... um, I mean, sorry to, to, to <clears> dive <throat> in. I quite recently, I'm pretty sure uh, I read a story where uh, a, a fucking prankster YouTuber got capped, oh got fucking shot in the stomach. Oh, uh, by a guy who was packing, uh, felt threatened, <laughs> shot the kid. Kid survives, and the guy was just got off, no charges. He was fucking, you know, right. you're good, mate. <laughs> yeah you know i mean double America, tap next so, time maybe yeah yeah right like i mean that's inevitable but <clears throat> the thing is like with the truman show this idea of like an unconsenting child growing up in front of the camera like that just made me think of like all these families that like like uh, uh like six months or so ago there was a uh, one interview 
I think it was in like Teen Vogue or something like that, but with an anonymous child of a influencer family who's basically waiting till she's 18 and can like emancipate herself from her family. But like telling the story of like basically how like she's been used by her family and manipulated and like all this stuff of like, you know, my dad telling me like, you know, if if I decide I don't want to be on camera anymore, then we're not going to be able to afford our house anymore and things like that. And like putting all of this on kids um, who like cannot consent to this Mm. Um, and like just the crazed things that people say about like children on TikTok and stuff like that. When families put them out there, there've been TikTokers who started as family influencers and then were like, absolutely not. I'm taking my kid off this. And people have like freaked out at being denied access to their children um watching the truman show i was like this is like (laughs) this is what you're doing to your kid and this was you know 25 years ago or whatever (laughs) that they basically while commenting on another thing predicted a thing that's normalized now like no one thinks of it as truman show and it is Um, truman show what i would also say on the on the flipper though because you know we're from the realm of positivity sure um there is some there is some kid and by kid i mean teen mid-teen early to you know mid early late teen uh youtubers who are fucking so good right oh absolutely um yeah kia went to some gaming thing like a a week or two ago and he's he has not stopped talking about these like two like 17 year olds who started i think it's a minecraft youtube Um, and now they are like running a little business. They put out like four videos every single day. They have a team working for them. They're like loving life as like, you know, best friends working together on this thing with money rolling in and all these people who work for them to help them create this content. That's like, that's awesome. (laughs) Owen is, Owen is super into a channel called Jack sucks at geography. Right. Uh Um, which is just a, a kid. Uh, setting himself kind of ridiculous geography challenges like you know where on earth is this screenshot yeah. from what's this flag of this obscure fucking island nation <laughs> and it's it's had a incredible effect on Owen's right. the just the geography knowledge this kid is carrying around with him he's incredible at geography and it's all from <laughs> yeah tell me about it um but all because of the connection that he's or be it, albeit maybe parasocial, sure. without him knowing <laughs> right. it. There but are the connection that there, he's made with this kid, yes. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, it can be good. Yeah, and I think, like, being old enough to consent to it and, mm. like, you know, it's if a, big, a kid yeah. says, I would like to do this, that's one mm. thing, as opposed to the fact that, like, most of these family Instagram influencers start, like, when their kids are babies or, you know, very, very young and don't really mm. have a sense of, like... What does it mean if you share all my embarrassing moments on TikTok yep. and things Forever. like that? Forever, right? Exactly. So, yeah, Truman Show was an interesting watch just to, to, like, you know, it's a movie that is reflective of the time it was made and then is, you know, has a whole Prophet. other. Yeah. Sort of Who's prophetic it Who directed it? it? This was the weird. The director is Peter Weir. Who I was like, I was like, what else has this guy made? (laughs) Like for a movie that had such impact and like, you know, was absolutely huge. I was like, I could not tell you off the top of my head things he's made, but he's made a ton of stuff. Yes. Um, I want to say he retired like 10 years ago, apparently. Did he make a a big submarine movie? Well, he made Master and Commander. It's not a submarine movie. There you go. Yeah. It's, yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. But he made a bunch of stuff and Kia was telling me because I was like, who is this guy? So we like looked him up. Um, and he was given like a lifetime achievement award 
uh, huh. at the Oscars or something like that, like last oh, year. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. So, well yeah. done, Peter Weir. Good, good work, man. Yeah. And if you haven't seen The Truman Show, watch it because it is actually super fucking good. <laughs> Why does Jim Carrey not work anymore? I think he's like in his own world now. Like, yeah. you know, he started doing art and he like made the little like documentary about his art and stuff Wasn't like that. Wasn't there a thing though? Wasn't like, there some unpleasantness? I mean, I think like, I don't think there was a thing that like people canceled for. He's been like anti-vax for like 20 years or whatever, but like. Uh, I'm sure there was a there thing was... with a girl or a kid or something. Was there? Give me a moment. If there was, I definitely never heard about that. Okay. <laughs> this must have happened in the other universe. It, maybe it didn't. Yeah, it, it didn't take place on our in our realm. <laughs> uh, I'll 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 circle back because I don't want to have said something heinous about Jim Carrey that I can't back up. <laughs> it's like no, he's fine. I mean, he again, <laughs> the anti-vax thing is a pretty sucky thing about him. Uh, mm. But yeah, I I don't think I've heard anything that's like, you know. Yeah, he's he's been accused of um by by several partners of of. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Now that I think about, with drugs and that's and so right, on. and and didn't one of his partners like take her life after? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, once you mentioned that, that yeah, no, I do remember that now. Yes. <laughs> um, but again, so take that with your <laughs> as you choose whether or not to watch Truman Show. You can keep that in mind as well. Uh, but what have you watched? That's all I watched this week. Well, I've gone in right. I I'm <laughs> I'm a big advocate of giving yourself a little treat when it comes to films right mm, indeed because they can be they can be they can, you can just endlessly everybody's got their pet <laughs> movies that they will endlessly go back to and treat themselves to and uh i gave myself a little treat this week with elm street three um yes it, 7th of november this was so post halloween spooky season in the in the rearview mirror but i just had to i just fucking had to i think it was after getting uh, that Elm Street flavor in my mouth after we spoke about uh, House Robert of Usher. England. Oh, House of Usher, that was it. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yes, I had to go back and, and, and watch the best one again, and it was just wonderful. Just wonderful. Um, I, I am, is Dream always... Warriors your number one? Yes. Nice. Okay. Yes, it is. Uh, everything about it, everything about it works. Everything about it clicks just into place beautifully. Um, and, which makes sense when you look at the staggering talent that are involved in that fucking film. Um, you know, uh, even on just on a, on a soundtrack level, you've got and and Angelo Badalamenti doing the soundtrack for fuck's sake. Often, you know, longtime David Lynch collaborator, um, Frank Darabont co-written the screenplay, docking on the fucking soundtrack. You know, everything in that film works and. It contains my favourite moment in the entire series. Uh, it is a moment which will give me goosebumps whenever I fucking see it. It makes me go, oh, just, uh, it gets me right in the fucking pit of my stomach. It's when um, uh, Kristen has just realised that she's got this power to pull people into her dreams. She's having a bad one. She's in this fucking locker room and the walls begin to shake and the floor begins to undulate. And this fucking horrific fucking worm with the head of Freddy bursts through the floor and starts to eat on her uh, and she subconsciously almost as a reflex action pulls Nancy into a dream and fucking this horrific 
snake-like thing breathing steam catches eyes with Nancy and just goes, you, I fucking, oh my God, I love it. It's the greatest moment in, in all of cinema. <laughs> 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 you. Amazing. Oh, so good. Because, yeah, Freddie, Freddie, don't forget. Um, so there was that. Um, loved it. I... I wanted to fill a gap in my in my in my kind of my watch history, right? Because uh-huh. I'd I'd never seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, never seen Which, it. Which, as you know, I also watched for the first time like three or four months ago. Yeah, um, I don't remember us chatting about it. What? what uh, <laughs> because you know, of it was course a cer- not. It was a certain uh, time. Um, the best thing, yeah. What's hilarious about you watching it and me watching it is having the same reactions and coming to the opposite conclusions about it. Because as you were texting me as you were watching this, um, and at one point you were like, this is either a one or a four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, You're like it's it's one of those. You landed yeah. on the four. And yes. I was, I gave it two. Honestly, that was generous of me. How do you I, do like, that? How do you go middle of the road? I'd, it, it's, I probably like it less than that. If I really, I think mm. I probably just didn't want to give it one star. Yeah. And so I gave it two stars because in hindsight, I'm like, I don't think there's a single thing I like about that movie. Mm. <laughs> it just more feels like you're like, well, a lot of work went into it. So one doesn't feel quite right. Uh, it's kind of a like, oh, you know, it's a it's a recognition of my preference, I think is what it is, because it's like. Okay. It's, I mean, I think it is kind of a bad movie, since <laughs> you were talking oh, about yeah, like, yeah, the accents are from space and like all of it is like bananas. But I, yeah, I don't know. I think part of me like won't accept yeah. that it is as bad as it is. <laughs> you know? But then when you, when you add into the mix, again, who, who, the, who it's by? Who made it? Who's in yeah, it? Who's like, in it? You know? Yeah, you're you're left with more questions than answers at the end of exactly. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, yeah, how the holy shit? It's it's a high end, kind of high production fucking you know money. It's a money movie with right. the sensibility of something like Psycho Man. Well, I'd say <laughs> that that kind of more is more sensibility yes. of just fucking I don't give a fuck, chuck it all up it. there. Um, I, the the, vo- the voices, I uh, nothing nothing new can be said about the accents in Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? right. But it, you know when you've got Carrie Elwes cast, a dis- <laughs> known you know, a, for a, the worst American accents on the planet, yeah, bless him, an English him, actor but... of some repute, you know. Yes. He's 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 good. He's good people as Carriels. Right. So what we'll do instead is we'll cast him as an American and we'll cast Keanu Reeves as the Brit. Yeah, totally. Uh, honestly, I I just I had to see it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, recently I referred to a, a film as, as like a fucking rich beef Wellington, right? <laughs> and Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, is a fucking rich beef Wellington. But uh, it's badly made. It's been dropped on the floor. It's gone like cold. A, yeah, it's a beef Wellington from like Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, if our boy Mauro had made a beef Wellington out right. of bats and fucking mashed up mice. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it. I had no idea that Tom Waits was going to show up for fuck's sake as yeah. Renfield. I had no yep. clue Tom Waits was doing some really good work. He. I love him. Oh, same. Good God. Um, yeah. but maybe that was where the extra star came from. 
<laughs> possibly, yeah, possibly. But Tom Waits, Tom Waits isn't in the same film as everybody else. Tom Waits actually wants to turn up and do good work, whereas everybody else seemingly just wants to do coke and spend money. Yes. I think that's... Uh, 100%. But, you know, you know as well as I do, you know me by now, right? You know Marco, mm-hmm. and I will go to bat and celebrate just a massive, massive, colossal failure. Yes, uh, exactly. And that's what Bram Stoker's Dracula is. It is... It's a head scratcher, man. It is a big old dose of what the fuck was that? And I, and I, <laughs> That's why I think, like, ultimately, you and I have the same opinion on this movie, just manifest yeah, we, in opposite We just, re- yeah, yeah, we do. We just, we, yeah. Uh, it comes out differently. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it is. A head scratcher is a, is a good word for that. And I think neither of us were prepared in going into it for that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I just feel like no one quite prepared me for how fucking off much the rails like another of keanu reeves's movies no one can explain to you what bram stoker's dracula is you have to experience it for yourself it's true yeah yes correct <laughs> uh i'm not gonna waste any time talking about <laughs> suitable flesh okay um but because we're from the positive realm i will say <laughs> that holy fuck what was that <laughs> thank you <laughs> is that your baked potato yeah it's a drink oh, thank you nice. keo Thanks, Anthony. My my door <laughs> when you open it like opens really jarringly, and so when it like came open, it just mm. scared the crap out of me because I didn't okay. hear him come up the stairs. Uh, what do you have? What do you have to drink? What are you drinking? I think it's an old fashioned. I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> all I would say is it's great to see Heather Graham. Mm-hmm. So there's your okay. star. Otherwise, the 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 movie itself is turgid. It is awful. <sighs> Boy. Um. It is uh, about, you know how in Jason Goes to Hell, Mm -hmm. they take the bold move of retconning Jason into like a little worm thing that goes in your mouth. (laughs) 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 Um, In Splendid Skin or whatever it's called. What's it called? Fantastic Skin? Suitable Flesh. There you go. Um, It's kind of like that. It's Jason Goes to Hell, but with a little bit of uh, It Follows, um, you pass on the, the crazy madness through... (gasps) <gasps> sex and so that. it's quite i don't know it's, it's quite explicit but I, I i hated it um i don't even know why <laughs> i just didn't enjoy it that's very like that's interesting because ben from dead and lovely really loved it and you know, he kind of was just basically <clears throat> he was like you know it's very brian usna um it is very brian usna it yeah. is and in <laughs> fact it's um another one of barbara crampton's fucking miscatonic series yes exactly <laughs> Uh, so yeah. Do they that, leave that her was... alone? Does no one try to molest her in this one? That's all I want to know. Uh, she does not escape unmolested. I'm afraid. <sighs> but that's what always trying to molest Barbara Crampton. I, I know. Hands off Barbara Crampton for fuck's like sake it. for five minutes. Stop it. <laughs> or then you know, uh, past a certain point, if you're gonna keep going to Miskatonic, fool me once. You know, I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. So interesting. In between, I think. The horny nature of the movie is probably not in my wheelhouse. Uh, so probably not for me. But, yeah. Are they good sex horrors? I mean, you'd think Cronenberg has probably done one or two <laughs> Yeah, that's, I'm going to say, like, probably people who like Cronenberg a lot more than I do would <laughs> say so. Like, your crash and whatnot uh, probably counts under under that, but I would not. I, I, like, I like crash a great deal. <laughs> but, yeah, in general, I don't think that's a... Like I've said many times before, I don't like sex and violence combined. It's I'm not going mm. there for that. It's not what mm. I'm here for. <laughs> Fair enough. You like um, sex, you like violence. 
but not in the yeah, same plate. Not in the same place. Yes, they're on the same plate. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, yesterday, continuing my what is fast becoming a tradition of going to visit my mother and watching weird movies with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night, her and I sat down to enjoy Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Nice. Okay. Has she well, it seen is, though. the first she, Planet of the Apes? Well, yeah. Yes. Yes, she has. <laughs> and and enjoyed it thoroughly. So I was like, oh, okay. go on, ma'am. Let's watch the second one. Da, 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 da. Um, it does a load of things which I love in films. As you know, I love it when a movie is brave enough not to rely on dialogue. I love it when uh, <laughs> sure. a movie is brave enough to let you piece together the fucking, you know, what's going on in between the chapters. It's all up there on the screen. Um, uh, it's, I, I I think that particular trilogy doesn't get half the fucking credit it, it should get. It's a, it's a, it's a, I, I know it's. I feel like people generally acknowledge those oh, people, it, movies. It, it's, it's acknowledged as a banging trilogy, yes. Yeah. But. When was the last time you had a conversation about the Planet of the Apes trilogy? Never. I guess that's fair. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it... One of those, one of that genre of movie of the uh, people love it, but it has no cultural impact. Mm. Like the, the weird yes. one that Tim Burton came out with has more cultural impact than the actual <laughs> it good does, ones. Which I've never actually seen. You've never seen it? No, I haven't. I quite, I, I like me some Tim Burton. Um, that's, I mean, you're not missing anything. I saw that in the theater. And I must have been in, I don't know, like eighth or ninth grade or something when that came out. And I just remember being like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> it was deeply does, confusing. Does a non-monkey have yes. intimate relations with a well, monkey? At least they kiss. I don't know that it was more than that, but like it was weird. Okay. Yeah, it's like Helena. Because that's not Carter how you start monkey. a Planet of the Apes. That's not um, how you do it. No. <laughs> it's not. You can't. You can't force it. Uh, so, yeah, that was a weird. That was a weird mm. one. Uh, but, but you uh, watched that with your mom. Yes, I did. We both enjoyed it. Huge action. Uh, and hey, who who are the real? You know, who are the real baddies here? Who are the mm, apes? Is, is it us or is it or is it them? You know, think mm, on, mm-hmm. think the yep. fuck on. Uh, let me see. Then there was the killer. Um, Yes, which just uh, feels like it appeared out of nowhere to me. I had no idea it existed, and then everyone on my letterbox was watching it. Oh, uh, but it's the good shit, though. It's the good, good okay. Yes, it nice. is. Um, see, I'll, I'll, I won't say this too loudly, right? Ooh. So that they won't hear me back in our own dimension, right? <laughs> but I really fucking like Fastbender a lot, mm. right? I like to think in our universe maybe he's not so shitty as he is in the other one i didn't realize he was oh he's he's bad is he a f- it's like a domestic fuck. abuser ah for fuck's sake yeah of like multiple women ah, son of a bitch because on screen i really I like him do. yeah i was a big fastbender stan back in the day i cannot yeah. tell you how many times i've watched that x-men <laughs> day, uh yeah. days days of future first no. class First class, first class yeah. is the one that I've watched a million times. Yes. <laughs> well, um, the killer uh, is uh, very stylized. Uh, it is uh, it leaves reality at the door. There, I, I, I don't for a second believe that there is this kind of unseen subculture of darknet fucking <clears throat> hit mannery and and sure. you know it's it's more gross point blank than it is anything else I love it's gross point blank so, so do i it's there. a fucking great film but i <laughs> in how it deals with the assassin game you know the murder mm. business 
I felt it more uh, hyper-stylized, you know, in how, you know, globe globe trotting, just wipe off the gun, drop the gun in an airport bin, get in your hire car, go do the next job, bang, bang, bang. It's all that, it's all cool. Just another beautiful kind of sparse, uh, feng shui kind of soundtrack from Trent Reznor. Um, it's Who directed very this? Good I know shit. this has like a big director too. It's David Fincher. Fincher, that was who it is. Again, because yes. this came out of nowhere. Uh, yes. He was like, I looked at it and I was like, whoa, okay. Um, it does something I hate in that okay. uh, Fastbender gets a text message. I, I was like, is he going to get a text message? <laughs> yep. And I'm just going to have to acknowledge that not all of us no. can read on a cell phone. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine because oh. it sets itself up as a movie with that kind of stylization. You get on-screen titles. Okay. You know, it, it's <laughs> it's 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 as part of that visual palette of the movie. You accept it. It's fine. It's set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll allow it. Um, okay. So yes, that was awesome. And I've also, Corey, hmm. I've been listening to podcasts. Now, right. Yeah. Um, I, I've been I've been in the car quite a bit of late, so I picked up on a recommendation of yours, Scamander. Yes. Um, super enthralling tale. I'm glad tale. you brought this up. I wanted to, but forgot to. An enthralling tale of the very, very worst that, that, that a human is capable of, you know, just right. a complete dearth of, 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 uh, you know, just accountability or honesty or morality just so the fact is some people are fucking hollow and right. can leverage that almost for their own personal gain mm-hmm. yeah um, the story gripping. if you haven't heard of scamanda um i might have mentioned it but i can't remember uh basically it's a podcast about a woman who uh pretends to have cancer for like a decade uh, and is fleecing like her church members and all these kinds mm. of people like for for money, living off this, getting cool like make a wish benefits and all kinds of stuff. All the while, uh, she doesn't she have cancer fucking, and she yeah, is yeah, yeah. She mistreating her family and you know all these kinds of terrible things that she's doing with absolutely no remorse. About Just with alacrity. Any of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've since moved on to your last recommendation earlier on, Stinky Mike. What was it called? Dirty, Dirty John. <laughs> Dirty Tom, whatever it's called. Dirty John. Mm-hmm. And I'm noticing a pattern, right? And if, if mm-hmm. podcasts are going to be like this, then I don't think they're for me, right? Okay. Um, for, for, Mike was a short man who wore lurid sh- shirts and a, and a bright green wig and uh, a red nose that would honk. And he was often seen to wear a, a false flower <laughs> on his lapel that he would squirt people with water. And then you'll cut to a girl going, we were so shocked he turned out to be a clown. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't, I really, I'm really sorry to go down this route, right? But were I one of the fucking people in this podcast, I would simply have seen the deceit coming right. a mile away. Right? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the, there was something else that, oh, when I had you watch that, um, that cult documentary. And yes. I think this is fascinating because... Yes. I find this to be what's so interesting about these things is that I'm like, I simply cannot fathom it. So I want to hear and see the process. Whereas you hate that. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I yeah. do not want to know how these people were duped because it drives me crazy. And I don't think it would happen yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, I am so interested in the psychology of how I mean, this, this, get duped. I've listened to the first episode of <laughs> Smelly Dave today, right? <laughs> and they've spent the, the entire episode building up this obvious fucking 
huckster of a fella. Mm-hmm. And but you have to realize they weren't listening to a podcast when this when they encountered this guy. Yeah, you know they they but didn't I mean, if, have the information. If the journalistic had. rigor is to be relied upon, mm-hmm. then you're a bunch of rubes. I'm sorry if you fell for dirty Dave because. <laughs> I mean, and like the thing about that story is to a degree that is, <coughs> sorry, kind of what it's about. When someone really wants to believe in someone and is searching for something, mm. uh, how much you will let your guard down, even when there are red flags around you. And you see in that one, like her family catching mm. on, yes. uh, you know, people <clears throat> people in the vicinity being like, yo, this is a problem. Um, but this sort of woman at the center of this being like, I don't, I don't see it. And, you know, being willing to make bad choices in order to keep this guy in her life. Uh, yeah, I I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just the the size and the scale of the bad choices. Right. You have to put yourself in the mindset of someone who's very just desperate. Yes. You know, exactly. And so I find that kind of stuff fascinating. The other one that I, I <clears throat> had recommended to you is less like that. Um, and more just insane. The, the teacher's pet. <clears throat> Sorry. I think my like caught my like allergy pill wore off. So now I'm at oh. the, it was like a 12 hour allergy pill. I took 12 hours ago. You want to do um, that one? I might, but, um, Crush it up and rail it with your old fashioned. <laughs> um, the teacher's pet one, uh-huh. I think, is like super fascinating because that one uh, revolves around like the disappearance of this woman in Australia like 30 years ago. Mm. Um, and then sort of what uh, is uncovered over the course of trying to figure out like what happened here is this strange relationship between these two twin men and then this weird school situation in which the teachers were having sex with the students and it was just sort of an accepted part of the like school situation and uh this spirals into a whole bunch of banana stuff and the podcast eventually i listened to it when it came out so it was like you didn't really know it was going to happen but Mm. they actually ended up like arresting and trying and finding this man guilty of this murder that has been unsolved for 30 years as a direct result yeah. of this podcast, which is pretty cool. One day so, we'll get one of those. We're going to get a hit on one of those. One day. Yeah, it's definitely going to be us who, who finds it. <laughs> I know that Your Own Backyard was another podcast that did that, like, mm. uh, thing from the early 90s. They The guy deep-dived into it, and now they have convicted the man who killed this girl. So that happens from time to time. But I think uh, Teacher's Pet is more your speed than Your Own Backyard is. I'll give I'll give Smelly Eric another couple of episodes. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it a try. See if it see if it yeah. warms up. But I do know that that's a thing about you that you don't like is yeah. like with Scamanda, you can see how she deceived everyone. And, you know, the but it also like it but very even, much feels very even with Scamanda, churchy, you know, which was a huge element. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I've known people who have maybe not to that degree, but done very similar things on a smaller scale in evangelical churches. Absolutely. That kind of sociopathy is huge in the church. Oh, wow. Huge. (laughs) So, so much to cover. Do you know what? Three years, three years under our belt and yet so much still. We've still got so much more. So much more to come. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that was my week in watches and listens anyway. 
amazing. Yeah, it was like good. A great week. It's a, it's as if when I'm away and can't distract you by making you do snacks and things like that, you get to just mm. watch movies. Just watch movies, just enjoy my life. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been fun uh, texting back and forth with Alan as he is currently watching uh, House of Usher. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and uh, you know, as each episode passes, he's given me his reactions, and Love that. yeah, it isn't just us; it's universally acclaimed. He even said, and I don't think he's seen our snack on House of Usher. He even said, "Fucking hell, it, we, Mike Flanagan, it's, he could really bring Freddie back into something hey, special." Hey, you know? there it is. So that's two. That's two of us. Come on. Ah, <laughs> uh, so listen to to our main topic. Okay. Now, yes. word has reached us here uh, in, you know, Universe C1040603Sigma that your version of Joag over there is quite a downer mm. and that your version of us talks a lot about how, you know, everything's fine if you just accept that you're fucked. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. If you I, can find a space... If you can find just a space to work within where you're accepting of the fact that we've made, as a collective, as a, as a race, the wrong choices repeatedly now for hundreds and hundreds of years, and we have reaped and now we're sowing. I guess that's what your version of Joag speaks about a lot. Yeah. See, we come from a different place here mm. in our realm, and we think more about what we're getting right and what's improving. Yes, Definitely. And I kind of thought that maybe you might like us to share that with you today as you as you hit play and as you go about your day and as you look around. There's a lot to be positive about. There's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot to feel optimistic about. And maybe, right, just maybe things aren't as fucked as those two jokers from your dimension would have you believe. I think it's time we set them straight. I completely agree. I mean... Where to even begin, right? I mean, <coughs> even if you want to talk about just the basic things like life expectancy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of examples, right? Uh, in the US, would you care to uh, hazard a guess for me of what the current life expectancy is of the, in the United States? 70... Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Give me... 74? It's actually 79, don't you know? 79. <clears throat> I was going 79? backwards. I knew which. I was like, it's either ah. twice my age minus one or plus one, you know, something like that. Oh, is I, there, you've, there's a little a way of working it out, is there? I didn't know that. No, it was just that I happened to look it up recently. Oh, I see. <laughs> Great minds. Um, it's uh, 81 over here in the UK. It's 72 in Egypt. It's 73 in Bangladesh. Um. Uh, and and that's all on an upward trend. Even uh, even developing countries, you know, even your you know your Afghanistan, fucking Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, China, all of these everywhere pretty much is showing a marked increase in life expectancy between you know, if you go back from the nineties up to today, right? Mm-hmm. And that's got to be a good thing. I feel like that's a good thing. You know, I think most uh, people would like to live a little longer. If, if, as I'm sure you are in that dimension, if you're treating your planet great like we are over here, mm-hmm, obviously, and you've and you've kept your resources, like obviously you're going to do that. Um, <laughs> that's a great thing, and uh, you know, things as ridiculous, not ridiculous, but things as fundamental as clean air, right? Indoor fucking air pollution. Mm. If you fucking your air, the, the 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 quality of the very air we breathe has 
just again since the 90s increased massively things like um uh, just increased income in your low-income countries uh global economic growth that transition that the world is currently in from uh, things you burn to make things go mm. to things that you don't have to burn to make things go right. that is increasing the quality of the fucking the very air that we breathe like globally. that also sort of brings back a thing that we've discussed before the idea of lead right mm. i mean think of that since the the 80s and 90s the fact that we have our brains are better off now than they were yeah. for yeah. our parents yeah simply because there isn't lead in our gas yeah. and in our yeah. paint and in all those yeah. things that gets into the air gets into the water and literally <laughs> changes our brains Changes uh, our in brain some chemistry. fundamental and terrible ways. We don't. Yeah. We don't deal with that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so th- I mean, the 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 life that the the life that we live, the air that we breathe, the fucking food that we eat. You know, mm. um, famine is globally reduced. Uh, the way that we look at disease, vaccination. You know, this fucking I love this fucking stat. Vaccination as a as a as a science is credited with saving over a billion lives. Uh, and just the smallpox vaccine alone, right? Just the smallpox vaccine uh, saves uh, estimate around 5 million lives every single year. Incredible. Just that. Wow. You know, and that, that, that's, that's, that's a good thing because that's what we talk about here on Jack of All Graves. Mm-hmm. We talk about the fucking good stuff that we've done. Literacy. Isn't it great mm-hmm. to be able to pick up and read a book? I don't know about your Joag, but, but Corey runs a book club uh, in ours. <laughs> And everyone who attends can read the books. Yes. Is that right? Exactly. Yep. It's 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 a wonderful thing. What if I told you that you know, in... Oh, go on, please. Are you, is this a literacy fact? Because I can wait until after you deliver. Okay, tell the literacy fact and then I'll tell you what Just this. That, um, go back to 1800, right? And I could tell you that global literacy was 12%. Wow. In 1800, across the planet, 12% of people can read. Amazing. Um which is a nice, healthy 87% in 2020. Wow. That's, That's, I mean, so the reason that, you know, the thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, again, looking back fairly recently, I remember, like, literacy still being, <clears throat> in America, a thing that we were fundamentally trying to tackle um, when I was a kid. And my dad started a program that does still exist in Western Massachusetts called the Literacy Project. That Your dad did? Whole, my dad did, yes. Ah, what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> that the whole point was to um, help with adult literacy and sort of uh-huh. fill the gaps for people who had managed to make it into adulthood without the mm-hmm. ability to read. And yeah, mm. the program still exists, but obviously much smaller than, you know, 30... 40 years ago when uh, when he started it and you had people from you know who had grown up in the 40s (laughs) things like that who might have you know uh been able to get by without it so it's a much lesser problem that even i have seen in my own life from having my dad be a part of that yeah Yeah. i I never knew that i'd like to talk more on that at some point the only the only adult i've ever met uh who was unable to read was my uncle sid oh interesting have we ever spoke about Uncle Sid? No, this is the first mm. I'm hearing of Uncle Sid. Interesting. Um, <coughs> we'll talk. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk off okay. off pod about Uncle Sid. I'll, I'll I'll. Yeah, I'm very interested in Uncle Sid. But on this note specifically, <clears throat> like, could he not read at all? Uh, no, he couldn't, and he couldn't speak Welsh either, right? Okay. Yet, he would religiously watch a Welsh soap opera over here called Pobolicum. 
I'm familiar. In Welsh language with English subtitles. He got very little from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's your, like, you don't understand language it's spoken in and you can't read the subtitle. Yeah. Yes. That's fascinating. Isn't it? Yes. Huh. Um, yeah, but again, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a fucking episode to be had yeah. on Uncle Sid, I'll tell you. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yes, just fundamental cool stuff like that. Everyone's reading. The air that is broadly cleaner to breathe. Broadly, people are living longer. Broadly, extreme poverty. Um, fucking hell. I mean, pre-industrial, uh, extreme poverty by which, you know, we, we, we say people are living on like a dollar a fucking day. You know what I mean? Right. That, that kind of super poverty. Um, that's gone down from pre-industrial 90% globally extreme poverty to uh, mid-2010s, 9.5%. Wow. Just plummeted. Yeah. You know? We're getting stuff right. We are getting stuff right. Right. There is there's a lot to be fucking positive about. Um I you know, I I mentioned energy earlier on, the transition that we're on towards burning stuff to make stuff go to not burning stuff to make stuff go. Mm -hmm. The adoption globally of renewable energy has outpaced even some of the most the most optimistic tradition uh predictions, right? Wow. Um the International Energy Agency, right? Um, we globally f- exceeded their forecast for uh, solar energy generation by 2030. We exceeded that in 2018. Oh, wow. Yes. Solar, and, and there are loads of costs driving that down. The, 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 the falling costs of, uh, you know, building solar panels. Right. Um, it, it's It's... It, it, the transition is tough, but it's fucking happening. And, yeah. you know... And I know we uh, get, like... Uh, I don't know about over there, but, like, here in New Jersey and probably in a lot of states around the United States, you get, like, a lot of discounts and tax breaks and things like that if you do yes. install solar. So there's more yeah. incentives for people to yeah. do that as well, along yeah. with how much you save on bills and all that kind of stuff. So it, I'm sure this all, all these things put together has helped to speed up the adoption of that in ways they weren't necessarily expecting. Just in the space of a decade, right? So in 2010, um, wind and solar combined accounted for just uh, less than 2% of global lecky generation, right? That is what now year was to, that? Uh, 2010. Okay. Um. By last year, by 2022, it, it, it's it's now 8.7%. And that's, that's outpacing so many predictions. It's almost as though, it's is it a social contagion thing? Is it, mm. I mean, you know, is the message fucking landing? Is, right. is the message fucking landing? I'd, yeah. I'd love to think, I'd love to think it is in your dimension because it certainly is in ours. So I, I, yeah, I bring I to you like... a message of, of hope and peace. Yeah, because that's the thing. I think amongst people, mm. largely we're all on board for this, right? You know, if it yeah. was offered... Apart from Shell. Apart from... Well, that's exactly it, right? Like, if you take the corporations out of it who are insistent that we keep on relying on fossil fuels, if instead what was being offered to us for the same prices and stuff like mm. that was solar, was things that were cleaner, I think most people would be like, yes. Aside from those people who just, like, you know, knee-jerk, like think like oh you're trying to take away my gas stove over my dead body you know like there's always gonna be the people who think it's fascism to like clean up at all did we Uh, talk about the Fortnite fucking debacle yeah yeah the was it shell it was it was shell it was shell Shell, yes in the game uh paying influences 
and designing a, a fucking a Fortnite map with a little shell garage in the middle. Uh, <laughs> and it's even like you like uh, earlier this year there was that whole thing with like influencers, like TikTok influencers, going to the um, what's that? huge fast sheen factory oh yeah, yeah um they like you know paid all of these influencers especially like queer and influencers of color and stuff like that yeah. to make it look really cool yeah. invited them to the factories and had them walk around and like talk about like oh how amazing it is and like they're really ethical and like responsible oh, and look at how happy God. everyone is who works here yeah. and you're like bro what you really think they showed you like the yeah. real stuff for yeah. real Get oh you think together. that's why you know, you're paying like eight pounds ninety nine for a fucking jacket, really. Right, like, exactly. Like, <clears throat> come on, get your shit together. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, I mean, you know, I think given the opportunity, and ethical stuff is never going to cost what it what Sheen does or what mm. that new one with the purple packaging that everyone's using uh, costs. Um, Timu, Timu oh, is the you. new. Okay. Uh, clearly exploitative thing that people don't want to acknowledge is exploitative. Mm. They're like, no, 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 it's fine. It, you can totally get a computer for nine cents, and that is definitely yeah. of above board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think most people would rather do the thing that is going to be better for the environment when given the chance. You know, mm. like we we understand we all have to live here. We've got these growing life expectancies. <laughs> we would really like for the end of those to like be super mm. chill and cool um and i think for the most part like yeah if you give us the chance mm. to do the solar energy to you know have the good things without burning fuels and making a mess of stuff we choose that it's oh. <clears throat> it's sometimes sometimes one can give in to optimism you know it, it, mm, it, mm -hmm. it's nice sometimes to to, to to look uh, outside of to take off the fucking the dread blinkers yeah and to wonder that maybe we might not be that inexorably fucked maybe maybe we are unraveling it slowly maybe we are i like that idea and i think we do need that reminder mm. yeah i mean let me ask you this if i may <clears throat> we know that uh, at least at least our joag you know uh, it's as much about us as it is about the topics that we talk about, right? Ah, we've we've unpicked a lot with one another on this podcast. We've talked through a lot. I'd love to know. I'd love to know what are you what 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 you're proud of, what your what trajectory you're happiest about in your life currently. What do you think you're nailing, and what do you, what are you what what gives you optimism, Corey, right now? What gives you cause to go, do you know what? Fucking hell, I think things are going to be okay. You know, I think in my personal life, mm. you know, if I'm not, like, it can be stressful to look outward sometimes. And, and you know that I'm a kind of person who, who has to speak up and be activist about things and all that kind of stuff. I can't sort of sit quietly with things. And that can get really stressful. Um, yeah. But, you know, I consider that to be my social responsibility or whatever. Mm. Um, and and a, that's a thing that I am proud of that I think is good. You know, I think that it is a plus that, you know, I'm willing to take, lose it all or whatever to, and take risks for the things I think are right. I think that that's a good thing. But it's one of the things that first, uh, made me a friend of yours. It's one of the, it's one of the things that, that leapt out at me. 
Um, well, thank you. I appreciate yes, that. True. And but like on a on a personal level, you know, I think, uh, you know, we've talked over time of like how I've said how it's so nice to be able to be like I'm a writer, you know, when I actually am. Like it's not yeah, yeah. aspirational. That's my job. You know, yes. uh, things like yes. that. And and just overall, I think, you know, the world is crazy. And there's a lot going on that bothers me and all that kind of stuff. But in my actual life, yeah, I am very content. I live oh, so in a, yeah, I live in a home that I really like. Mm. You know, uh, everything is not perfect in here. My mother drives me crazy, things like that. But I love my house. I love the town that I live in. I mm. love that I get the opportunity to travel, and then I get to you know go to England and see my friends over there. That I get to see yeah. my friends here, scattered around the United States. Um, that, you know, I am very content to not, like, do anything really, maybe occasionally go out to a pub quiz, but mostly just sit at home and read and hug my dog and watch a movie and uh-huh. play a video game or whatever. And then I just feel, you know, in a in a good place in general, you know? Mm. That's the kind of thing that makes me feel like, you know, that, that things are okay. And, I, uh, I you don't know, you remember. need that. I don't yeah. remember... I mean, there were one or two moments in like the first year or so of Joag where, you know, it was, it was, it, it felt to me as though the your anxiety was kind of really leading you by the, yeah. leading you by, you know, it was, it was, it was behind the wheel. It was taking control. Um, right. Yes, very much so. To the time that I hey, had a panic attack while we were talking and you had to like talk me off the ledge. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean... Hey, we had COVID for fuck's sake. Come right. on. If you can't allow yourself a little bit of anxiety during then, when can you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think I've learned to, through all of that, and, and I think honestly talking like this every week has, has been a big help, Good. kind of work through it to the point where I can approach the world and be passionate about trying to change it and passionate about the issues that are going on without yes. that meaning that like I fall apart. Yes. You know? It doesn't and have I think the expense of you. Yeah, I think that's what like the balance that ideally we all want to strike is to never stop being angry about the things that matter never stop being passionate about things that matter but to be able to recharge and be okay so yes. that those things don't cause you to be having panic attacks on the internet you know? yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 completely what and about you if, um <clears throat> it's a hell of a question i mean i <laughs> I get a lot of satisfaction and a lot of pride out of the fact that we are now over three years on and still running, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that... The fact that I, pre-Joag, right? I, I, I thought of myself as, as quite a creative guy. But I actually demonstrably am now. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Putting this together and, and broadcasting this and maintaining this over these years through some through some peaks and troughs mate through some personal sure, yeah. fucking highs and lows this this constant that we've that we've man, managed to maintain and sustain here i get no end of pride out of the fact that we've you know we've we've uh, we've hosted fucking panels my 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 the the circle of people i know has, has expanded globally you know yeah. the i'm 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 super proud of joag i'm super fucking proud of it um yeah. and alongside the pride I feel in my in my, my, my family and just keeping myself together often with fucking, you know, sellotape and string. But <laughs> this has been a, 
a, a north star for me this podcast and i'm really really proud that we're still going on you're here 100 percent agree with you on that yes indeed so look <laughs> no, yeah oh go ahead no please no i was just going to lead you towards your story you had one more thing you wanted to tell us about here <sighs> the the tale which i'm about to weave carries <laughs> a whiff of apocrypha about it right okay but there are lots of sources here which back up everything that happened to a Croatian fellow by the name of Freno Selak, right? All right. Um, a guy who could be seen as either the luckiest guy you've ever fucking heard of or not, or the unluckiest guy you've ever fucking heard of. Um, right. He's had a lot of brushes with death, right, Freno Selak, uh, starting way back in 1962 when uh, a train that he was on crashed on his way to Dubrovnik, uh, the train derailed, plunged into a river, killed 17 people. Um, oh, yeah. But he swam to shore with minor injuries, right? Literally walked away. Do you know how old he was at the time? Was he an adult? Uh, or? The, he was young. He was young. He was young. I, I, I think he's still alive. But the very next year, he survived a fucking plane crash. Oh, what? Yes. Uh, 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 on a plane that was en route from uh, Zagreb to Reika and um, despite being depressurized uh, and having fell a fucking huge distance he landed on a haystack in a barn and fucking oh, survived stop. right that's this is where it gets yeah, credulity like, okay, right? All right but sure. this isn't just this guy saying this this, this plane crash happened that train wreck happened right um, some years later uh, our boy Freno was in a bus accident, right? He was on a public transport. <laughs> he did he the whole planes, trains, and automobiles. The the trifecta. The trifecta. <laughs> the trifecta of transport tragedy. Wow. That was some J. Jonah Jameson shit right there. <laughs> it was um, pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was on a bus which skidded off the road into a river. Again, four dead, four drowned. He swims to safety, walks away. Years later, like 1973, and then like a decade or two later in 1995, he was involved in two separate car accidents, uh, two separate kind of large-scale car wrecks. I feel wrecks like I'd just be walking at this point. Uh, he was hit himself. He was hit himself <gasps> by a bus in 1996. Oh, well, okay. It, yeah? guess that takes walking out as well. But here's the thing. In 2003... He won the fucking Croatian lottery. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. Uh, And wins thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. um, uh, Which he used to enjoy his retirement. Chill out. Help his friends and family. He's got himself locked in a room like clear from (laughs) Final (laughs) Destination. Like Magneto, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like Um, nothing's going to touch me. So yes, if, if, if you're host of Joag often tell tales of, you know, tragedy and bad coincidence and and, and, and things that go wrong for no reason. Uh, the world being just cruel for no fucking reason. Keep in mind that the opposite also is true and that the world can be fucking good to you for no reason at all. It can bestow just as much as it can give it away. Luck is a thing. Yes. And it's, uh, you know, it... it, it sometimes goes your way and i'd like to end if we may Mm. with a quote um the desiderata is a fucking uh, a trope by now right 
uh, a poem by Max Ehrman from 1921, but it's got one particular quote which 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 resonates with me at this fucking time in my life and this day of my life this evening and it just simply says be gentle with yourself you're a child of the universe no less than the trees and the stars you have a right to be here i love that so hey so friends as our signal fades as our interdimensional link becomes unstable and as i fear we are soon to lose the broadcast there's one thing that I'd love you to do, if you can, for Cory and I across the sub-dimensional fucking space network. And that, Cory, is... Stay lucky.